This episode is brought to you by JLL. Get an insider view into the world of commercial real estate with JLL's podcast, Trends and Insights, the Future of Commercial Real Estate. Whether you're curious about making cities more sustainable, the evolution of office space, or AI opportunities, this podcast will help keep you a step ahead. Tune in for candid conversations with business leaders about the biggest trends impacting how we live, work, and play. Subscribe to Trends and Insights now at jll.com slash podcast. Welcome to the 1000 Hours Outside Podcast. My name is Ginny Urich, and we've got a farmer with us today, Michael Kilpatrick. Welcome. Hey, thanks so much for having me. It's awesome to have you. Michael Kilpatrick from growingfarmers.com. He runs Small Farm University, has his own podcast that has close to 200 episodes, right? Yeah, I think we're at maybe 230 now. Over 200 episodes. Yeah. So fantastic. And the Small Farm University has got all sorts of courses that people can take. So just thrilled to have you here. You run your own life and you're helping other people learn how to run theirs. So here's my question. Have you always been a farmer? Actually, uh, most of my life, it's been either in farming or in agriculture. I did take a brief stint. We moved to Ohio to see if I could do something else and uh, didn't fail miserably, but realized really quickly that it just wasn't for me. Um, I actually worked at a factory producing displays for KitchenAid. And then I actually went and tried to help a billionaire start a farm in the Hudson Valley. And, uh, you know, just both weren't good fits. Mm, So back to running my own business and uh, just feeding people. What made you try something else? Uh, well, part of it was we relocated to Ohio. So we're in New York. I ran our own farm up there for about 12 years. And then we moved to Ohio and I really wasn't sure what was next. And I kind of taken up some part-time work while we were here for a visit. And they offered me a pretty sweet opportunity there directing the management. And yeah, so it was just more of like getting our feet back underneath us and just trying mm-hmm. other things. But I just love growing things and love being outside. And I love yeah. feeding people and seeing, uh, well, nature's so exciting. I think that's the big thing. And so, you know, just every year seeing those new seeds come up and trying to make it a little bit better is kind Mm -hmm. of the exciting part. Yeah. So when you were working for KitchenAid and when you were working with the billionaire, what was that like? Were you stuck inside a lot? Mm, yes. Yeah. So the KitchenAid, I started in the in the lamination room. So I don't know if you're ever familiar with how lamination is applied. It's typically applied to plywood. There's nasty chemicals involved. And I mm. probably, I, again, I'm a systems person. So I improved the process. And I think that's why they saw the potential there. And then they moved me into just managing packaging and all these other things. But it was literally stuck inside nine hours. I mean, I would, I started the job in January. And so I would go to work in the dark and come home in the dark and have a half hour or an hour at lunch. And it was just like, this is not how I want to spend the rest of my life. But the billionaire job was kind of fun. It was in a very, very expensive part of the Hudson Valley um, on top of a hilltop. And I mean, the stuff we did was crazy. And they closed the farm because he had no idea what he was doing. He thought he was going to make more money on arugula than he did his hedge fund. And his hedge <laughs> fund was very successful. Let's put it that way. So, <laughs> Just stick with that. Yes. What's well, interesting though, Michael, I think that's a really cool thing that you have had experience in both and can say, look, this is really what I want to be doing. I want to be outside. I want to help other people get outside. I want to grow food for people. And so you came back to it. And now you're in Ohio. Your farm is called Farm on Central. Mm-hmm. What would you say that you specialize in? Yeah. So, I, you know, we exist to help our community eat more 
awesome local foods um, and change their diets. So, I mean, we're in a very blue collar. We are left over from the industry. Um, I mean, GM was here. Uh, GE was here. The Duramax diesel plant is still here. But, you know, millions of jobs were of manufacturing were in the area, not maybe millions, but hundreds of thousands of jobs. And most of that manufacturing is gone. And so you've got a lot of older population, which are incredibly sick from all the radioactive or the asbestos or all these chemicals. And so we just see people with, you know, so many health problems. And when we started the farmers, like, oh, let's just grow, you know, these things and they're going to buy everything from, we're going to grow it all ourselves. And we realized it was more about, hey, how can we help these people be healthier? And so what we've gone to is more of a cheerleader to help people eat more local raw whole foods. And so we have an on-farm store where we carry a lot of our own products as well as a lot of local products. Um, our biggest crop is probably strawberries. So we literally today we'll probably wrap up our strawberry season, a five-week strawberry season. Oh, it's short, isn't it? I know. And we picked, I don't know, maybe 7,000, 8,000 pounds of berries this year. Uh, you pick is what, what came through. But we do a lot of perennials too. So that's we have a wide range. I mean, we do everything from elderberries to willows to comfrey, do lots of lettuce, tomatoes, some cucumbers. And then we have a wellness line. So Farmstead Wellness is our wellness line where we make fire ciders and salves and tinctures. And, uh, you know, just again, because, uh, and I hate fire cider, but the thing... <laughs> The thing was, is my wife, so I, was really, I. <laughs> I was really sick and my wife was like, okay, you're going to take this. And I was like, oh, I gagged it down, but my cold was like gone. It like scared wow. the cold right out of me. And so then I was a believer. <laughs> so now we do it. We make our own, we grow our own turmeric, ginger, um, all the herbs. We grow horseradish, lots of onions and garlic. And then we uh, process all of that in the fall into the fire ciders. So it's a little bit of a wide range. We have eight acres. Oh, not much. No. And we're in the middle of a, a city. So we're in the little city of Carlisle. And on one side, we have train tracks. The other side, a very busy road. And two other sides, we have houses. So we're like this little landlocked farm right in the middle of the city. Eight acres. I love the answer to the question, what do you specialize in? And then it just kept going and going and going, which is really oh, cool. And then we have on-farm education. So we do canning yeah. classes and gardening classes. And my wife does amazing sourdough classes. So yeah, we're just doing it all. On-site. So you're building community at the same time. Yeah. And that to us is really important because I think, you know, with that aspect of being outside, it's also an aspect of, I mean, kind of like the juxtaposition of, you know, being outside means you're tossing the screens and you're tossing that kind of stuff and building community is the same thing. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think a lot of people think their community is their phone and they don't realize that there's so much more than just seeing what someone else is doing. And actually in one aspect being jealous, oh my gosh, they're on another vacation. Mm -hmm. But if they were able to sit down with that person, have a conversation and just, uh, um, yeah, take a class together. How fun is that? Even physical touch. Uh, right. I was just actually talking to someone about how that there's a trend with bridal parties to learn mm. something together. That maybe mm -hmm. you would go take a sourdough class or you would learn how to do flower arrangements. I thought that was a really, really cool idea because you really are building memories. And Jill Winger, mm -hmm. I don't know if you know Jill Winger, but she yes. was on our podcast recently. And she was talking about how when we work with our hands, it helps our brain release dopamine. So mm -hmm. all of those things like making flower arrangements or making wreaths or making the bread, all of that, working in the garden, obviously. So mm -hmm. that, that was a really cool thing. So you guys are doing a lot there. One of the things that you do, and similar to Joel Salatin from Polyphase, mm -hmm. is that you're doing it yourselves. So I looked on your website. It's like you can buy the elderberry cuts and you can 
by the different things, but you're also teaching other people how to do it. So you do both. When did that start? How did you get into the realm of teaching others? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's really started back in New York. Um, You know, we were pretty successful as a farm up there and I had great mentors. And so I was just able to implement and scale really fast. So then we started getting invites to do teaching at other places and we started doing that. And then, you know, I started doing more and more conferences. When we shut the farm down up there in 2015, I was doing a lot more and I started getting asking about consultation. And so I started going to farms and realizing just how we were in this little bubble in that and up there, we had very successful farms, really good customer bases, and just a community of people growing together. And mm-hmm. when I got out and I realized just how hard a lot of these farms had it, I knew like there was principles that we have that we need to share. Mm-hmm. And so we kind of made like a five, we have a five pillar program that we work with farmers. And so we started sharing that and that kind of just dove into being more online. And we actually were behind the scenes with a lot, some of the other larger farm education in our space. So some of these other big names out there, we were the behind the scenes that, you know, help them mm-hmm. bring their product to market. And so, um, we, yeah, we just started doing that. And then it just kind of really went from there. I mean, the elderberry Ooh. thing is, it was, is huge for us now. And I think last wow. year we shipped like 25,000 elderberry sticks across the country wow. or this year, this spring. And for that, it was a friend of mine called me and said, Michael, I've got all these cuttings I need to sell. And I was like, well, let me see. And so I I reached out to my audience and then I started getting questions. And I was like, well, now I just got to interview people. I think the biggest thing is I'm just really curious about this stuff myself. Mm -hmm. And so I just start at it from like a complete newbie and like, okay, what are the questions I need to ask? Who in my world can get me in touch with the certain people that I need to, to learn more about this? And I'll just leverage those relationships and get these people on an interview and then create Mm -hmm. some sort of education around it. Interesting. Yeah. Because it's a lot of practical information. Basically, when you have your own farm and you have so much diversity within that farm, there's a lot to know just about that. But then the other piece of it is the business piece and understanding your customer base and that type of thing. And so you come at it from both angles. And I read that you read a lot. Yes. So what have been some of your main inspirations? Let's start on the farming side. So who's a couple big inspirations for you, a couple books, and then the business side? Yeah. So on the farming side, obviously, you know, Joel Salatin was the guy that got it all started for me. Back in New York, we moved up there when I was 13. Uh, We started getting eggs from a local egg person. And one day she popped by the house and she brought an article. That was the article in the Smithsonian that showed Polyface and just like the amazing. And we were like blown away because here's the thing. You know, we were raised again. Our parents believed we could do anything. But, you know, farming was always that, well, probably not going to make it work. Because mm-hmm. everyone told us farming doesn't make money. Farming doesn't make money. We're our grandparents always says, Oh, yeah, you don't want to be a farmer. And so Joel was like, Oh gosh, he's doing it. And he's also doing it this regenerative direction way. And so we really got kind of sucked down that rabbit hole, started reading his books. I remember reading his, You Can Farm and all those. Mm-hmm. And that really helped us kind of set that stage. The other area huge inspiration, and they haven't written a book and they really need to, is my mentors, Paul and Sandy Arnold. They are farmers in upstate New York who have built an incredibly profitable, and now it's moving to the second generation farm and uh, just, you know, a little hard scrabble hill in Argyle, New York. And they uh, just very small couple acres. And, you know, Paul always tells me the smaller I get, the more money I make and the more product I produce per square foot. But he's been a really good inspiration. Otherwise, on like the book side of farming, I mean, obviously you have to go back to the Elliot Coleman books. I mean, he's kind of the guy who was like the father of the movement. And Mm -hmm. he really set forward some of these great principles that now a lot of us implement. 
implement. So, you know, mm-hmm. I always like to say there's principles and there's techniques and then there's your context. And so knowing the principles, you know, soil's alive. Then you got principles. Okay, we have to keep soil wet so that the plants can thrive. And then going down to your context, how am I going to keep my soil covered in my specific area so it's going to thrive? Mm-hmm. Um, so that would be the, the farm side. On the business side, I mean, gosh, when I, we were starting, I mean, we we started diving into the E-Myth and diving into uh, Jim Collins, you know, Good to Great, Great by Choice. So those books were just fabulous. And then we really started moving into the marketing because that's where I feel like my strength now mm. is with everything we do is, again, I can grow vegetables, but I'm not the best vegetable guy out there. There's some way better ones, but I can sell it and I can think up a thousand ways to sell it and just thinking about the avatar and all that. But, um, you know, a, a story brand by Don Miller has always been great for us. And actually, you know, on one aspect, I really kind of, it's a tough one to swallow, but there's some great principles there. A lot of Russell Brunson um, that can get way too uh bro marketing on one side, but there's a lot of great principles that a lot of people mm-hmm. can take away from that. And then one other author, what I would say is really kind of, it's more of a, a 2.0 level is um, Gino Wickham and Traction. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think there's the the whole, that aspect of what they build there. As you start to scale your companies a little bit bigger, that really can pay off in what you're trying to do. Yeah. It's so neat that you have both things. So I looked at Small Farm University. So this is an aggregate of all sorts of types of courses. There was Mm -hmm. a lot there and each course is meaty. So someone could come and they could sign up for monthly or yearly membership or lifetime membership. And you have an extensive list of courses. So I was curious, do you have a favorite one? (laughs) <laughs> um, you know, it's really funny. Um, you know, I, I kind of like to go back because there's two two courses in there I love. One of the things I love to do is tinker. And so dry your greens, which is basically how we take a wash machine and turn it into a salad spinner. It's so simple. It can be done in an hour or two. And literally it will change a farmer's life. I think salad greens is one of the most profitable crops that farmers can grow. They can grow year round in most of the U.S. I'd say 98% of the U.S. you can grow greens year round. And that is a steady for us. It's our number one seller in the store. So we do a lot of salad every single week. I'm looking out my window at beds of beautiful lettuces. So that's probably one of my favorite because that's one of our first ones. And it's just changed for life for so many farmers. I think one of the bigger ones that I'm probably most excited about is the Start Your Farm Intensive. Because what we did is we created this and it's the 30-day challenge. We created it as a 30-day challenge for folks is to go through every day to build a new block in their farm business and just understand behind the scenes of what a business actually is. Because here's the thing. Most people get into farming because they love to grow food. But the problem is, my mentor told me, he said, Michael, first you need to be a marketer, then a business person, and then a farmer. And the reason for that is, again, it's all about a business. I mean, you don't have to be a great grower to have a successful farm. And so I I think that's the important to us. Again, it's an exciting thing to just see people when they go through, build those building blocks and understand what their farm business should look like. We take them through marketing and profit analysis and all these ratios and that sort of thing, um, just to try to understand what it actually takes. What an interesting thing. I would imagine that most people go about it the opposite way. So you say marketer, business, farmer, I would imagine most people go farmer, business, marketer. Yes. They grow a crop and like, well, okay, how am I going to sell this? Now, granted, I'll buy stuff online and be like, what am I going to do with it? Like this spring earlier, I brought a box of, of into the wash and pack. I was like, oh my gosh, I'm so excited about this. It's like, what'd you buy? 150 hydrangeas. And I was like, what are you going to do with that? Well, I mean, I had (laughs) ideas for it, but I will still buy a bunch of stuff. Anyway, but back to that, you're absolutely right. 
people, and they're like, oh my gosh, I got all those tomatoes. What am I going to do with it? Well, for us right now, we have an overabundance and they're going to get blenderized, put in gallon freezer bags into the freezer. They go, we'll pull them out in six or eight weeks and turn them into marinara sauce and Mm -hmm. spaghetti sauce and that sort of thing, or just dry them down in our freeze dryer for tomato powder for seasoning. So there's so much potential out there and people just need to, as you said, flip that so they can think about, well, is this going to make money or is this going to work for us? This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. Question, what's the first thing you'd do if you had an extra hour in your day? Read a few chapters of that book, start painting that guest bedroom, tackle that pile of laundry, play a card game with your kids. A lot of us spending our lives wishing we had more time. The question is, time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? The best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what's important to you and make it a priority. If you're feeling stuck, therapy is something that can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. Therapy is a wonderful thing. It can help you learn positive coping skills or show you how to navigate properly setting boundaries. With BetterHelp, it's easy to get started. You just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try and visit betterhelp.com 1000 hours to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp. H-E-L-P dot com slash 1000 hours. Everyone wants to start their year off on the right foot. And for me, that means making sure I'm eating well and have enough energy to do everything I want to do. But I'm not going to run to the butcher every day to get a fresh cut of quality meat. That's why Good Chop is such a lifesaver for our family. Good Chop offers fully customizable boxes of high quality meat and seafood delivered to your door on your schedule. Their products are vacuum sealed and frozen at peak freshness, so you can stock your freezer and cook when you want. We had a somewhat last minute get together recently, and it was so incredibly convenient to just head to the freezer and pull out a couple bags of Good Chops hamburger patties to whip up some burgers quickly. They were so delicious. Besides being delicious, it's important to know it won't cost you a fortune either. Good Chops price per meal starts at just $3.74. Go to goodchop.com slash outside120 and use code outside120 to get $120 off across your first four boxes. That's code outside120 at goodchop.com slash outside120 for $120 off. Goodchop.com slash outside120 code outside120. So with all these courses that you have, do you ever get to a point where you have saturated it? You feel like, no. All the information people need is there. No, <laughs> no, there's well, more coming. And, yeah, there's more coming. Like right now we're getting ready to start working on a strawberry one. Because again, strawberries are the number one crop in sales for us. Obviously, we sell more salad greens year round, but quarter of our income comes in in just that month where we have strawberries. And so the system we do is kind of particular. And there's a lot of information. Like I'm sitting right here holding the North Carolina strawberry guide, which is fabulous information, but it's written to conventional growers. And there's no course out there for organic growers who want to, you know, do it on a more regenerative aspect. So that's the next thing. And I think the thing too, is there's constantly farming is moving forward. We're not farming like we were 10 years ago, even five years, even two years ago. I think we're all learning in this space about, again, the bio diversity under our feet and just how important that is. I mean, I was 
was interviewing Jeff Moyer from Rodale, and he's actually since retired since I interviewed him. But he was saying that once you get to a point in your soil, you can grow a full 150 bushel crop of corn, which is actually a little on the lower side for conventional, but for organic, that's a very healthy stand without any fertilizer. He said the wow. soil biology will take it to a point that it can, because under our feet is all those phosphorus, potassium, and we can put them nitrogen in there with cover crops and all of that. So that's possible. It's just, we have gotten to the point so far from the original design of how things work that the soil's depleted. And so he's like, you know, we've been doing 30 years or 40 years now of no-till research on Rodale. And we've gotten to the point where it's possible. And so just learning that and trying to understand how that all works is just incredible. And there's so much more research and so much more education that needs to be done. Because again, the amount of chemicals used in our current cropping systems is unsustainable and is going to destroy our farmlands. And it's in our farmlands. Wow. So you have this small farm university and it's just growing because you are continuing to learn and continuing to add to it. What would you say, and you may not know this, but percentage wise, how many people are coming to you that are brand new farmers versus that are already farmers and just sort of want to enhance what they're doing? Yeah. Well, there's a lot, again, the longer we've been in this, we start to notice some trends. Um, Mm -hmm. So you've got trends where you've got established farmers coming in and they, you know, they just need some little up level. They pop in, they'll pop in for six, 12 months, go through some courses and then like, okay, good. I'm good to go. I wish they'd stay around the community, um, but sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. But we do probably, I'd say more like 60% of people that come in are brand new farmers. And here's another thing. Some of the people that come in are homesteaders and some of them realize after a year or 18 months, you know what? Farming's not for me. And you know what? I'm grateful for that because I I realized that it's not the life for everyone. It's challenging. Again, there's a lot of pluses about that. But again, the fact that we help them figure out, self-select out before they spent years and wasted time away from their kids and all the challenges and money they would spend in that, that's a success for me. It's a win. Mm. So I'd say, you know, we have these people come in, they're like, oh yeah. But, you know, I, I think it really, the thing about farming is it really takes about five years before you really start to see a profitable business. And mm. so um, it's a little bit of a longer cycle than you have in some of these other businesses. So um, it's not for everyone. And again, it's physical work and you're dealing with the weather. Oh, sure. Yeah. A lot of things that are unpredictable. So you talk about starting small. What does that look like? Does that look like you start with one thing, you start with three things? Yeah. Um, so, you know, you've probably heard the shotgun versus sniper rifle analogy where, you know, sometimes you throw a lot out there, see what sticks, and then you start laser focusing on one thing. So I, I mean, when we say start small with someone brand new, I mean, you can start in your backyard. I mean, if you have an urban lot, I mean, you could start with a patio. I mean, you could grow two dozen herbs on your patio and planters, turn them into salves or sell them to your at your local farmer's market. That's a great way to get started. Um, and then you scale from there. I mean, like you can there. I have a farmer, Ray Tyler, who farms with his family down in Tennessee. I think he's got seven or eight kids, but they farm on about an acre and they are doing well over half a million dollars in sales selling into the Franklin, uh, Tennessee, which is basically a suburb of Nashville farmers markets. But there is so much, you can do so much on so little. I think the biggest paradigm shift that we struggle with getting existing farmers to understand is, look, you can do an acre, you can do two acres, you can do a half acre, and you can make way more money than a lot of farmers on 100 acres are doing. Unbelievable. Well, how? How? Well, it's intensive and it's it's high value crops. So let's say we grow an acre of corn. You're going to get 200 bushels. You're going to get $5 a bushel. That's $1,000. You're going to pay out about four to $600 in expenses. So you're now left with $400 in profit. We start a bed of lettuce, 100 foot long bed of lettuce. It's 150 to 200 pounds of yield off that bed. 
conservatively, you're going to get $10 a pound for that lettuce. We get a more now. Um, so, you know, we said 150 times 10, that's $1,500 per bed. And that's in five weeks. The corn took- Oh, and then you just keep going. Yeah. So then you put in radishes. And then after the radishes, maybe you put in garlic and the garlic goes over winter and the spring you harvest the garlic and now you put in strawberries or now you put in carrots. Hmm. So the amount you can make, and this isn't even value adding it. So then we take that salad mix and then we put it into a little clamshell with a little bit of dressing and some second. So the other things we add to that salad are like carrots that were like crooked or, you know, split. We bake that into, you know, a little bit of a carrot shavings, put that in Mm -hmm. our salad, two or three uh, edible flowers. And now we're charging $9 for that. And so now we're charging $20 a pound for that salad mix. And it's unlimited. I mean, um, our strawberries, one of the biggest additions this year was our strawberry slushies. Um, So we did apple cider slushies based on feedback from our apple farmer. He said, Michael, you've got to do slushies. Okay, fine. I mean, they are the they are the best. They are. Because we live in Michigan. And so apple cider slushies are like a top thing in the fall. Yeah. You know the science behind that. No, I don't know it. Yeah. The water and the apple cider freezes. So then what's left is that sugar syrup. And that sugar syrup is what hits your tongue, but it's also your tongue is being cooled by the actual ice pellets, basically little tiny ice pellets. So it basically creates this just unbelievable experience. Yeah, they are amazing. Yeah. So the strawberry slushies, we figured out a recipe. We started doing that. And now we've realized we're making $72 a plant for our strawberries, which is awesome. Mm-hmm. And again, it's more va- there's more labor in it. There's more value in it. But it's one of those things. You just keep looking at what's the next step. What's the next upsell? Mm-hmm. Herbs, going back to those herbs or even calendula. So like the calendula we're growing, we're growing one 50-foot bed. Every two or three days, they go out there and harvest all the right flowers. They bring it inside. They dry them. They're going in basically storage. We will make salves and tinctures and stuff with that. And that will probably end up being, you know, five to six, $7,000 from one 50 foot bed. So back up. So when you say a 50 foot bed, what does that mean? Okay. So our beds are five foot wide total. Okay. So it's basically a five feet wide by 50 feet long. Okay. So you got 250 square feet. Yeah. And you do a couple thousand dollars from when you start to really value add that. And you have to, I mean, you do have to grab those every single day, right? Because those grow fast. Yes. Yeah. And calendula, you want to get them when they're open and you want to dry them at low temperature. So it's a little bit of, you know, you have to make sure you've got the right equipment and all of that. And then mm-hmm. you're going to immerse them in oil and there's all different thoughts on what's the best oils. And, you know, that's a whole different ball game right there. But then you uh, then it infuses for a certain number of weeks. You mix it with typically you melt beeswax and mix it to firm it up. And then you'll add other things depending on what you're trying to do with that specific salve. Mm-hmm. Um, like we have a warming salve, which has turmeric and calendula mm-hmm. and a couple other things. So that aspect there is just, you know, really value adding. I mean, if you decide to do microgreens, microgreens can be done under lights in a spare bedroom. Mm-hmm. And I think microgreens are way overdone. I think everyone and their brother is doing them right now. But um, um, I'm sorry. This Well, it's just something that you can do in a small space. It's something that you could do in a home. And I do feel like sometimes people say, you know, your homestead could even begin in your kitchen. Correct. It doesn't even necessarily have to begin outside. If you just go back to cooking from scratch, that type of thing, it's happening there too. So the microgreens are something that you don't need 250 square yards. Yeah. You can do it in a, a metro rack. So, you know, those kitchen racks that you see very easily mm-hmm. with a couple lights and stuff. And even in a, just a, even in like your a window, they will grow in a window. It's not great for them. So there is, you can start on any scale. Yeah. And I said, yeah. you know, we do it a little bit larger, but literally someone could go 12 calendula plants, harvest the flowers every couple of days and still make a couple hundred dollars in saps. And that's one of the things that we're really passionate 
passionate about is helping folks realize how to step out of the system and start to make their own money. Because here's the problem. If you're stuck in a nine to five job, you're not with your kids a lot of the time. And that's one of the reasons we started the farm is we were, we are I'm not saying desperate, but we are intentional about making sure that we're spending time with our kids and their feet are hitting the outside and the dirt. You know, these things can be done when you, when you can leave the system, um, when you, you know, opt out of all these, you know, the, I think the pharma system, the food system, the education system, and the employment system, mm-hmm. then you really get back in control of your life and you really start to, because the other thing is when you're tied in all those systems, the amount of time those take and the time mm-hmm. those take mean that you don't have time for creative thinking. Because I think one of the huge things is my wife and I were talking about the other night is the amount of our, the amount of ideas. We probably could have cured cancer by now if we weren't all stuck in our phones because our phones are all consuming, not creating. And so if we could get back to that creation mentality, and I think that's why, you know, the America was at one time was such an idea powerhouse. I mean, you look at like the last 50, 60 years, what ideas didn't come from America? I mean, the car, the phone, again, not to say there's a lot of creativity around the world, but you look at a lot of these things. And I think what it was is that at one time it just was set up and there was a lot of that encouraged. Um, but, you know, as we start to really dumbify ourselves down with just looking at that screen, and I don't know if that's the right word for that. I think mm-hmm. that is where we really start to see the lack of creativity. Mm, there's a lot of loss there. Yes, massive amount of loss. It's interesting because Joel talks about that. I've spoken with Joel a few different times and mm-hmm. he, no TV, grew up with no TV. They still don't have a television. Yeah. And he doesn't have a smartphone either. And he'll come to these sessions. Now, just very recently, I saw him with some typed out notes that were stapled together. But most of the time, it's like chicken scratch on mm-hmm. a legal pad, a yellow legal pad. And he's just not embracing that technology too much. And yet it's not it's not affecting his life, really. You know, he's just pumping out these books left and right. He's got time. He's got time to read. He's got time yeah. to research. And he really is busy. He's flying across the country for different legal things. He's doing farm consults across the country. And he's yeah. got time for it because he is not losing that time to the screens. And so that's always inspiring to hear. I mean, when you talk about who's inspired you for business and for farming, you have to have time to read those books and to touch base with those people if it's like mentors like you were talking about. And if you don't have that, then you're going to struggle. I really liked your answer to what does starting small look like? I actually think that was an exceptional answer with really cool, practical ideas that someone could say, oh yeah, you really could start small with one mm-hmm. thing and then from there it grows. And so I think that's kind of an answer to the question of probably a lot of people are like, if especially if they're starting out, what kind of farm property do I want? Mm, that's a great question. So uh, when we we spent three years looking for the property we're on now, it wasn't like my realtor called me and said, Michael, I think I got something for you. And she's like, unfortunately, it's out of your price range, but I think I can work with your lender to make it work. Unfortunately, this is the middle of COVID. So we went through three different lenders and we were homeless for two weeks before we could actually close. <laughs> wow. But it, what it was, was, I mean, again, it was the middle of the, middle of this, the city here and it had a beautiful 1893 brick square house, one of those big giant brick houses. Mm. Um, so it's 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 beautiful, and our front door is just you know it's beautiful wood with uh, original stained glass and all of that. So it's oh. it's a fabulous house. But wow. it was one of those things where soil for us is so important because again we're we believe in the organic principles that soil is life, mm-hmm. and so when you believe that 
you know that your soil has to be the best, especially for the annual farming that we're doing with a lot of vegetables. Now, if we were just doing elderberries, we could be very different soil type. But because we're doing a lot of annual vegetables, lost strawberries, fruits, that sort of thing, it has to be really special. So, I mean, again, I would say don't let that hold you back that I need to find the perfect farm property because I want people to just start. And you can always do raised beds. You can do container gardening. Uh, if you have really bad soil, like really clayish soil, you can always start with animals. I mean, rabbits, uh, meat rabbits um, or rabbits are easy to grow in a very, very small space. Chickens you can do in just a couple hundred square feet. Um, so there's a lot of potential there to just get started. Um, but th there's five principles that we always talk about when we talk to folks about, well, it's more, but we'll, we'll go through five real quick. One is, is location. So it's way better to have a very small piece of land near people than a very huge piece of land hours from like, I see people that are farming three hours from the nearest Walmart in Idaho. And I'm like, mm. unless you have a product that's incredibly compact and easy to ship, it's really challenging, but I'd much mm. rather be on a corner, you know, a little tiny quarter acre lot in New York city, because I know the market potential is just there. So, mm. at, you know, basically location is always key. Soil type is going to be key. You're always looking for more of a sandy loam. You don't want wet soil. You don't want to be in a floodplain. Floodplains can be really problematic. Um, Hurricane Irene really wrecked uh, upstate New York and Vermont in, because all the floodplains flooded with like 12 feet of water and like mm. overnight. It was amazing um, and incredibly scary and saddening at the same time. Water is key though. You do want to be able to access water, especially if you are doing the annual crops that we're doing. Herbs are way more resilient. Perennials are way more resilient. Animals don't need as much water, but what we do, we need a lot of water and clean water. So that's very important. And then I think utilities and services are another thing. Like internet is now imperative that you have for your farm. Um, yeah. you ha having the right type of power. Like uh, we didn't have three-phase power at a previous farm. And so being able to have that, especially if you decide to go a little bit larger on some of your equipment, that is something to think about. And access to being able to get into the property, being able to get out of the property, being able to get tractor trailers. Again, as you're scaling, you're always going to be able to get it cheaper by the pallet, by the truckload. And so back at our previous place, we could not get a tractor trailer up our driveway because it was so steep and it was very challenging in the wintertime. Yeah. But right now, one of the reasons we chose our place is because there is industry park across the street from us and a lumber yard down the road. So all our deliveries just get delivered there very easily. And we actually make much better rates on that. But again, that's only for as you start to scale. That's not something super important right at the start. But those are interesting considerations because moving is a large process. Oh, yes. And no yes. one wants to do it more than once if it's unnecessary. And no. so those are really interesting things to think about. I actually wouldn't yeah. have thought about being near a bunch of customers. And I think the thought is, oh, we should be out in the middle of nowhere. Like you said, yeah. with 300 acres, that's the best bet. Well, there's two things, a couple things about that, because that's a great, that is not a, there is thoughts on both sides. I mean, one side, if you're, let's say, say on an Etsy and you have like a really specific product, maybe you do, um, you know, uh, seeds, uh, lavender seeds or lavender, you know, you're a lavender farm and you do all these lavender products. You could be an Etsy in the middle of nowhere, as long as you have a post office that picks up. Mm -hmm. But I think it also comes back to that. We were talking earlier about community and being in community and being with people. That's really easy. I mean, we take a bike ride with the kids pretty frequently. And my six-year-old loves bike rides and we can bike to two different parks. And then when we're there, we're in community with people in our neighborhood um, mm -hmm. or in our city. So that is one of the, the reasons I feel like being even closer, again, for just our family is super important because, mm -hmm. you know, we're, that's, I think one of the reasons we do farm is we do want to be with our kids. And again, sometimes they can't be with us because we do have a little bit, some of the equipment's larger and a little more dangerous, but 95% mm -hmm. um, of the time, everything we're doing, the kids could be around us. Sometimes they aren't. Because <laughs> sure, sure. No, I get but, that. Yeah, but the yeah. opportunity 
opportunity is there. And I think that is the point that most yeah. careers, the opportunity is not there. It's mm -hmm. not even an option at all. And so if the opportunity is there, well, sure, they don't have to be with you 100% of the time. But even if they're with you yeah. half the time, that over the course of a childhood, even if they're with you 20% of the time, over the course of the childhood, that's a lot more time that you get yeah. to spend together. Well, and we're teaching them the work too. I think that's a super important aspect of what we're doing as as um, parents is really to. So that, there's two main thing. Well, a couple, three main things that I think we as parents need to focus on. One is teaching them to ask good questions and teaching them to be curious. Mm -hmm. I think that's the biggest problem with the uh, industrial um, education system is it teaches you to memorize, to take tests and not to ask a lot of questions. Um, so in education, you know, teach them to learn, teach them to read, teach them to write, teach them to ask critical questions and let them go. And that was, yeah. we were homeschooled and that's what happened with us. And mm -hmm. I would say that's, you know, again, it's not for everybody, but I would say that's a huge, a huge advantage for has been for me and in in, in what we're doing here. Let's pause there yeah. just for a second, because we are headed into a school year. And so when this goes live, all the questions are swirling. What are we doing for the school year? And I always think it's good to notice that there are homeschooled people that are in every realm of life. You could find homeschool lawyers. You can find homeschooled stay-at-home mm -hmm. moms. You can find homeschool farmers. You can find homeschool business people. And you are both in that sense, right? You are a farmer yeah. and a business person with a lot going on. So a successful homeschooler. So that's always good for people to notice if they're nervous. Because yeah. I think that there are a lot of people that want to make that decision, but they're very nervous that they're going to mess it up. And you, you had written in, someone that works for you had written in, that that's what you talked about your childhood, that you have parents who fostered an entrepreneurial spirit and gave you a lot of freedom. So yeah. on paper, that sounds really cool. In practice, that looks scary because to give someone freedom means you're not controlling all of their time mm -hmm. as a parent. And yet you would trace a lot of your success back to the freedom that you were given as a child to try yeah. things out. Well, and I don't think my parents were intentionally entrepreneurial because my dad, again, he grew up in the system. He worked for as a um, a doctor for a practice, so not his own practice, but he worked for a hospital. He worked for another system, and even today, you know, he's very unentrepreneurial. He's anyway, it's just not a bone in his body that's like, oh, let's do it ourselves. Um, Eating better is easy with Factors' delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh. Never frozen meal is chef crafted, dietitian approved, and ready to go in just two minutes. You'll have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Also, there are more than 60 add ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. So get started today and get after your goals. Some of the things we love about Factor are their two minute meals. You can fuel up fast with Factor's restaurant quality meals that are ready to heat and eat whenever you are. Our kids love the pancakes, smoothies, and more. And there's a wide variety of easy options for the entire day, including midday bites. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast, premium options with no cooking required. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime. And remember, to sign up and save, we've done the math. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. Head to factormeals.com slash outside50 and use code outside50 to get 50% off. That's code outside50 at factormeals.com slash outside50 
to get 50% off. When the skies open up while others seek shelter, I embrace the rain. Heading to my favorite hike, the raindrops are like a soothing melody and my Vessies ensure each step is dry and comfortable, turning a simple outing into a rather delightful experience. Whenever my kids and I are stepping into a great outdoors adventure, I love wearing Vessies Stormburst boots to capture the beauty of springtime landscapes. Their robust style is perfect for our nature excursions, adding a little dash of elegance to our outdoor explorations. This spring, transform how you view wet weather with Vessi. Their Dymatex technology makes their shoes not just waterproof, but a stylish barrier against rain and puddles. Whether it's a sudden downpour or a planned seaside walk, Vessi shoes ensure your feet stay dry and comfortable. Embrace the essence of spring with Vessi. From chic city walks to adventurous treks, find the perfect pair for your lifestyle at Vessi.com outside and enjoy an automatic 15% off your first order upon checkout. That's V-E-S-S-I dot com slash outside for 15% off your first order. Which that's good too, because yes. it's like you don't have to be the thing that maybe you hope your child becomes. You don't well, have to. You just have to give them the opportunity to search it out on their own. And in order to do that, they have to have time. Yes. Well, and I think the biggest thing is my parents never told me, no, you can't do this, or this is not going to work for you. They were basically like, try it, see what happens. And again, yeah. mistakes were made. I think my mom would have done some things differently along the way, but what they did is they just gave us the freedom to do try and they didn't tell us, oh, well, that's not going to work. Now, the, granted, along the way, there were discussions and uh, like my dad's very, very anti-debt. And so like there was many discussions like I need capital for the business to grow. And he's like, well, you know, self-fund it because I don't like that. Because again, he was the majority shareholder because we started the business when I was under 21. And so I couldn't literally be on the uh, the paperwork. So he had to be on the paperwork. <laughs> so anyway, but yeah, that stepping back and just opening it up and letting us just, just go for it. So I think that one's super important just to, to be there. I um, Other two big things with our kids, I want to go back to that. Mm -hmm. is one is learning how to work. People do not know how to work. And again, not that you need to be a physical laborer your entire life, but if you know how to work, you are going to be so much further ahead. Um, and it's something that has to be trained. People don't just naturally want to get down and, and start working for hours. I mean, with our six-year-old, our eight-year-old daughter is way more, she was a little bit more natural that way. And she's more of a helper aspect. And we've been a lot easier with her. But with our six-year-old, it's been a little bit more of a challenge. But one of the things that he's responsible for is taking the compost out every day. So it's a little compost pail, goes out to the big compost bin behind the barn. He dumps it, he washes it out, brings it back. We are now, after about a year of this, he is now very, it's, it's like ingrained in him. So now it's an easy walk out and he comes right mm -hmm. back. Instead of before, it was like tears and, you know, and I was like, it takes you two minutes, buddy. It's not that much work. But it was one of those things of just like having to completely do it over and over again to train them to just kind of uh, move through that. Mm -hmm. Okay. So that's number two. So one is curiosity, ask a lot of questions. Two is learning how to work. Yeah. And I think the other one is, I mean, there's a lot of other places we could go with these big things, but I think the biggest thing is to critically think because that goes hand in hand with those questions. You know, I, I think a lot of people say, well, you're homeschooling, so you're brainwashing your kids into what you believe. Um, and I was like, well, how is that not happening with other education systems? I mean, you can very easily see that. 
But to me, it's more important just to be like, well, why do they think that? Let's talk about, do they have a friend that thinks that or, or, or somebody hears that and say, well, let's talk about that. And how does that make you feel? How does that, you know, what in society, what does history show? So that goes back to the past because we all know history repeats itself. And so if we can go back and say, well, you know, when this culture did this, this is what happened. Because I think one of the problems we do see, some I've seen some families that do homeschool and maybe they're really intentional about trying to steer or try to, you know, and pass on their legacy to their kids and their kid decides to do something completely different is they didn't give them that aspect of understanding of like, okay, so why of that critical thinking of trying to mm. process through that. So I think that's so important. And again, there's books out there on that, but I think it's a lot of times just sitting down and having that intentional conversation mm-hmm. and being, and just letting them unwind it in their brain. We do this with our team is I'll give them a situation like, okay, give me a solution for this. Because, because again, if I have to solve all the problems here, A, I'm going to be frazzled and B, you're never going to be able to up level to the point that I can let you run this by yourself, which is A, important for your salary and B, important for my sanity. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Let's pause there for a minute because you are a farmer. And just by being a farmer, that seems like that would take most of your time. And then you're also a businessman where you have this small farm university. You run your own podcast. What it's what's it called? It's called the Thriving the Thriving, thriving farmer, farmer Podcast. Mm-hmm. And then you have the Summit Series. So the Thriving Farmer Summit Series, which is a free mm-hmm. summit series for a period of time. And you've mm-hmm. done several of them. And yep. so someone from the outside in would look and say, okay, there's a lot going on here. And yet you have time to have deep conversations with your kids, deep conversations with your team. So how are you finding that balance to do those types of things? Yeah, it's not easy. Mm-hmm. But I, I, the biggest thing is just, I mean, again, I, I t- told you earlier, I'm an early riser. So I'm up usually between 5 and 5.30 every morning. And a lot of it's just spending that intentional time. Wait, just tell sitting. the story about why. <laughs> I asked you that at the beginning because you oh. said, oh, this is kind of late for me. And I was like, oh, this is kind of early for me. And you said I'm an early riser, but it stems somewhat from your childhood. Yeah, it does. So my dad, again, you know, again, baked into the old way of like, oh, we got to get the house cool at night, save energy. And so, um, uh, so yeah, so way in the morning, I'd wake up, be cold, come downstairs, grab a blanket and crawl on this one little heat, uh, basically uh, register. And uh, this, we had hot forced air. And so sitting on the floor flat. So I basically put the blanket over my head and just curl up on this little register and let all that warm air come up. So, (laughs) (laughs) but yeah, no, I've just been always been up and at it. Yeah. So that early times is super important. Um, and then typically a lot of the time after the crew leaves at about five, I'll just do kind of do a little bit of a walk and just kind of walk the farm, but try to take the kids with me. And then um, Sundays are family day. Mm-hmm. So family day means we try to not do any work. And again, this year has been a little more challenging um, just because of a few things like last Sunday, we ended up picking blueberries in the morning and then we were expecting a two inch hailstorm. So that meant we were outside doing a couple hours of work when we typically wouldn't have done work, but typically it's just family day. So we hang out together. Screens tend to come out a little bit more on family day, which is something my wife and I are discussing. But what we did do this year is my parents have got us zoo passes. So we've been to the zoo now four or five times and we will continue mm-hmm. to go through the year. So that's time that in the car with the kids, at the zoo with the kids. But it's that aspect of also understanding you're only as powerful as the team behind you. I mean, you don't see any, usually one person wonders. There's always behind them the team that's supporting them. 
Um, and so, I, I mean, we right now have a really great team. We're always up-leveling our team. There's always new people joining. And, you know, through the different aspects of our business, like when we first started the online business, I had one person working for me and they had very limited skill set. Now we're at the point where we have, I think, like six or eight people total on our team and some very specific skill sets. We just brought a marketing guy on that does fabulous video. And so we're so excited cool. about the use him to up-level because we haven't done a lot of video just because we haven't had that level of experience. But you know, it's it's one of those things of, and again, with him, a lot of things I'm going to be like, here's some tools that you can use. Now take the tools and your experience and put those together, and then we'll go from there. And again, we always realize that. When you're hiring a lot, especially with farming, because it's very specialized, you're not going to be hiring for someone who's, okay, I've done all the things, been all the places, because every farm is going to be different. What we're hiring for is attitude and typically leadership and being able to manage, um, because that's really what we're going for is because the very technical. Now, if you're, let's say I needed a a scientist in a lab, obviously you're going to hire for the scientists in the lab, that very specialized aspect, but we hire for attitude We hire, you know, that's one of the first things we hire for critical thinking. We do working interviews. And one of the aspects of what we do in that working interview is I send them on like errands and make them a little bit ridiculous. Like go over here and find this thing and bring it back. And (laughs) we had this one guy recently who I said, you know, go into this place, you know, walk in like two feet, turn left and the bucket's going to be right there. You need to grab 10 minutes later, he was still wandering. And I was like, sorry, bud, it's not gonna be a good fit. And tell right. them that at the time, but I was like, oh, that's that's just not a good fit. Hmm. So, you know, those are the kind of the things that we're looking for. But going back to like the intentional time is, you know, the bike ride with the kids. You know, that's one of those intentional things we love to do as a family farm walks. So we'll put the two-year-old in the wagon, or now she's big enough that she can walk around. A couple mm-hmm. Sundays ago, it was strawberry sampling. So we do six or eight varieties, and we're always trying to figure out which ones are the best. And so it was taking, you know, taking the whole family out there, each of them was trying the different variety get a thumbs up or a thumbs down or why we may want to go with that. And so that was thinning out three or four varieties so that next year we're only growing the best. Yeah, it's, there's a lot of ways to weave that in and it doesn't have to be perfect. If you have no. most Sundays that are set aside or you know most parts of Sundays that are set aside, then that's really going to add up over time. And I think the attitude leadership thing is really an important one because I think when we talk about educating our kids, we talk about childhood in general, it's like we're looking down the road that we hope mm-hmm. that they have a stable job and a stable life. And what I'm starting to see is that a lot of places are taking your approach. It's not about the technical. It's not about what they know. It's about their personality. Are they personable? It's about can they work with a team? Can they be a leader? Can they self-start? That type of mm-hmm. thing. And we just got back from a rafting trip. We went five days down a river oh, fun. in Utah. I went with my oldest daughter. It was really fun. And the guides who are taking you through whitewater, who are help setting up camp at night, who are cooking all of the food. This is a lot of skill sets. And mm-hmm. who are talking and helping people build relationships. They're all in their 20s. And they wow. said that in order to get this job, which is also a highly technical job. Can you read the whitewater? What happens if someone falls out? All of these different pieces. Can you cook for 40 people every single meal? And can you make sure yeah. you're on time? You have to hit these different time spots. I mean, there's a lot to this. And they said they hire mainly for personality. You don't have to mm-hmm. have any of the skills. They said, we'll train you. So I think it's a thing just to be aware of for a parent that we don't have to maybe be quite so on top of this fact and that fact. And do they know... Yeah every single state capital or that type of thing, there are 
different qualities that are needed when you go to get hired. Yeah. And let's, let's go back to that because I think, you know, you've got these mom and again, I see it in my mom's friends that they like, Oh, I need this curriculum and I need this curriculum and I need all these, I need all the, I got you language arts and they got to know the capitals. Why, why do they need to know the state capitals? How is that going to serve them later in life? They've got Google. What they need to know is Hey, you know, I can see that this guy is trying to swindle me. These different things. I mean, going back to that critical thinking, if your child can understand how to work hard and a couple hard skills. So, you know, learning how to weld, I think would be super important. Learning basic wiring. Our kids are always going to know that kind of stuff because again, that will serve them so well later in life. But learning, understanding marketing psychology is something that I will make sure my teenagers go through because it will be a very important for them as they're trying to sell things, but also so they can resist the billions of dollars that are spent on them every single year trying to lure them into different things. They don't need every little thing. Again, my parents taught, again, I feel like my parents made me do a little too much school. Again, I hated school anyway, but. (laughs) But that's an interesting thing to say because you also say they gave you freedom. And I would imagine probably that most people looking back would say, I wish I had less formal schooling and more time to explore what I already knew I was interested in. Yeah. Well, here's a bit of a freedom. On Fridays, we got to do our elective. And for me, that was building this ridiculous little tiny cart in our basement shop. I love that. That was my favorite part of the week. My least favorite was the biology, um, which actually served me well. But then the calculus, I was like, ooh, I just, it was not for me. So I say, yeah, we did a lot of school, but they also, you know, my last two years, I didn't do a lot of school because my parents really saw that I was taken off in the farm and my dad eventually just wrote his name on the bottom of the certificate and handed it to me, okay, you graduated. (laughs) Yeah, Um, yeah, I know I've got a friend. She said her kids are helping build a house. She says she calls it construction management. This is learning too. And John Taylor Gatto says, there's millions of things of value to study. These are good things to know about. It's good to know what, employers are looking for. And I think Mm -hmm. sometimes we are separated from that. We don't know. So we're thinking, well, they must be looking for someone who's taken three years of calculus. And they're like, no, we're looking for someone who can find the bucket. You know, that's what we're looking for. So (laughs) Michael, if people want to find you, you are in a lot of places. You have your small farm university, which would be great for anyone who is an existing farmer or an an aspiring farmer, or even someone who wants some business help, Small Farm University, and everyone can find you at growingfarmers.com, at growingfarmers on Instagram. Then you also have the Thriving Farmer Podcast and the Thriving Farmer Summit Series. Did I hit it all? I think you did. Yeah. And then if if you want to see our farm journey, we're most active on Facebook with that. So it's Farm on Central, the Farm on Central on Facebook. We also have a website for that too. But Again, that's where I'm actually most active right now. So the online companies, they kind of do their thing. There's, you know, again, they're helping people. But like the day-to-day journey, if you want to see, you know, how we're raising our kids, how they're involved in our farm, all of that. That's super, that's, yeah, that's where our focus is. I think that's an interesting thing to follow along. Your kids are still young. And so you're talking Mm -hmm. about your thoughts on when they're teens. So if people want to follow along, I think that'll be a cool journey to walk alongside you with Farm on Central. Michael, we always end with the same question. What's a favorite memory from your childhood that was outside? Uh, I think gardening with my dad was one of those. I mean, that I think that really kind of got the bug of growing things in me. We had poor soil. My dad had no idea what he was doing. 
Um, he didn't have a lot of clothes for that. So he was wearing old hospital scrubs. So we have pictures of him in green hospital scrubs. I think I have them. I think it's behind me there. There's a picture of him. But I remember like, you know, growing carrots and cucumbers and tomatoes. And my mom said to me afterwards, you know, a couple of years later, is like, you know, he came inside. He was so frustrated. He only had two books. It was before YouTube. And he's like, I have no idea what I'm doing out there, but I know the boys are excited about it. So we're going to do it. And I mean, that again, Mistakes were made, you know, different things happened in my childhood, but I know that my parents always had my best interest in mind and they were working as hard as they could to give us a childhood that was going to be beneficial and supportive of us and our dreams. And so yeah. I think that's uh, that's one of my best memories. Mm -hmm. And you can sure see the fruit of that. And what what a message. It doesn't have to be perfect. It doesn't have to be perfect in order to be successful. Your farm doesn't have to be perfect. The way that you manage your time doesn't have to be perfect. But if you're striving for it, then you see the fruit. Michael, this has been fantastic. Oh, I loved it. I love talking with you. So I'm so Good. glad that your wife reached out and glad that we've connected. And we're in Michigan. So maybe someday we'll be able to swing by. We're not Absolutely. all that far, far from you. So thanks for being yeah. here. Absolutely. Thanks so much for the invite. Hi there, I'm Andrea Owen, self-help author with 19 translations of my books, global keynote speaker, and life coach. My podcast, Make Some Noise, has been serving up self-help in a simple-to-digest way for the last decade. The topics brought in each episode are practical and easy to implement around topics such as working through fears that keep you stuck, different modalities of therapy, managing your negative self-talk, and more. We bring you guest experts, solo episodes, and I even coach listeners on the air around relatable struggles. I also do my best to weave my sense of humor into some heavy topics because let's face it, life can be pretty hard and it's so much better when we can have some fun while walking through our challenges. Whether you're seasoned in personal development or just starting out, Make Some Noise podcast will help you become the best version of yourself, the person you're proud of when you look in the mirror and show up in your life. Simply search Make Some Noise with Andrea Owen wherever you listen to your podcasts.